Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Jay Scott. Welcome to The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope everybody's doing well out there, staying safe, staying healthy, as I do at the beginning of every show. I wish everybody the best. Hope everybody's getting through what they need to get through, and hopefully sooner rather than later, um, we will get back to the normal that we're all used to and we all remember, and hopefully we can put the Put the end of 2020 at the end of this year, and hopefully it doesn't bleed too much into 2021. But we're getting closer and closer. We're about three months away, and hopefully live music is upon us, more new music is upon us, and we can offer the escape to you that we've been doing here for the past several months in talking about rock music, interviewing great guests, interviewing new bands, and shining a spotlight on them. And we like to welcome in... Guitar legend, Joel Holkstra. What's going on, Joel? How are you? Hey, how's it going? Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, you know, we uh, spoke briefly before the interview. You're from the Burbs here in Chicago, on the southwest Burbs of Orland Park. I'm from the northwest Burb of uh, Des Plaines. Does that mean you're a Sox fan? No, I, I grew up a Cubs fan because they were on WGN all the time, so... Uh, <laughs> my dad was disappointed, but uh, I'm a Cubs guy. Well, there you go. Both start uh, the playoffs. I know the Sox start today. The Cubs start tomorrow. It's kind of a funky season that they had to do here because of the pandemic, but it's nice to have postseason baseball upon us. Yeah, so what are they doing? A best of three in the first round only? That's crazy. Yeah, it's 16, that that yeah 16 teams total, eight in each league. Yeah, and they're doing a I best saw that, of three. But then it's each round, like so, it's a best of three, and then what? A best of five, and then a uh, best of seven, best of seven. Yeah, I think that's how it goes. 
Okay. Boy, that's, I mean, that first round is like anybody can lose two or three, man. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it really doesn't give a chance to, for a team. Let's say a team's coming in that was like won the division like the Cubs, but really hasn't been playing well over the last couple of weeks. You know, they could still be in that funk when they start tomorrow and be done in two games or three games rather. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. But after this um, series, then they, I think the American league plays in Los Angeles and San Diego, kind of like a bubble to what the, like the NBA was doing. And then the gotcha. national league plays in Houston and Arlington. So, um, so that's going to happen too, as well. We'll see what happens. Like you said, anything can happen in a three game set. I think all three games are at Wrigley. And I think the Sox are playing all three games. Who are the Sox playing, by the way? I'm trying to remember. Um, uh, I don't know offhand. Yeah. I know the Cubs are playing the Marlins. That's yeah. all I know. So, well, hey, we always start the first episode every time we have a new guest with us on, on you know, the first time on the show with the same question, and that's the essence of the podcast, which is just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Uh, it'd definitely be ACDC, uh, Back in Black in particular, and uh, ACDC just being on MTV when it first was on the air, <laughs> if you remember that. Uh and uh, technically, like, I would say right before, like, the first rock song I ever liked was, uh, I remember hearing, like, my neighbor playing, and I think, on you know, one of those, you know, guys, like, washing his car or something and had it cranked on his car stereo, but uh, Billy Squire, The Stroke, and I remember going, like, hey, that's pretty cool, like, first time kind of digging, like, a rock song, and then, uh, but it, I'd say the one that really got me in was ACDC. Uh, back in black was like, you know, an obsession when I was a kid, I wore that out and was totally into them. And where did it go from there? You know, who made you want to pick up a guitar and play a guitar? Uh, Angus Young again, right there. I mean, that all kind of was like right in one fell swoop and very much into hard rock, heavy metal in the early going, just, um, ACDC, Black Sabbath, Ozzy, Iron Maiden, Scorpions, and, uh, then from there, just kind of branching off more into, I guess, more softer melodic bands as I got a little bit older, like Boston and, and Foreigner and Journey and that kind of thing. And uh, there, and from there, it just it just kept spreading. You know, all the guitar albums came in; those were big influences. All the Satriani, Vi, and Ingve, and uh, you got to throw in, uh, basically you're growing up in Chicago, you know, this cause there were such great, uh, radio stations back then. A lot of the classic rock stuff came from all the, the, you know, CKG and, and the loop and, uh, WMET and just like the stations they'd leave on all day, but definitely love like classic rock, older seventies stuff too. Um, all those, you know, Pink Floyd and, um, I guess, you know, Zeppelin and all that stuff was a, a big influence growing up as well. And so just a big melting pot of all that stuff. I remember WMET growing up as a kid. I remember 95.5. And they were it was such a cool radio station because it would play like Judas Priest and Van Halen. And then it would play, the, you know, the Greg Kinn band. And, you know, just, yeah. just a really cool <laughs> station. Like, you could get everything in rock under one 
you know, one station, 95.5, and then they changed over to, like, the New Wave Jazz um, station. Yeah, it was, like, heartbreaking, right? It yeah, like, remember, like, remember when they said, KG. yeah, remember when they said, like, the noise is gone, and then they play, like, this New Wave Jazz, and I'd be like, what do you mean the, new, the noise is gone? I love that noise, you know, and then... <laughs> And then there was WVVX, of course, which was 103.1, which came on at, like, after 7 o'clock at night. And it was, you know, I think one of the DJs, Scott Loftus, was from WMET, but they came on, and that was, like, a breath of fresh air because they were strictly rock, and they would play the local bands like Holland and, I don't know if you remember, Hammer On and all those kind of local bands in Chicago, you know, when, when you were growing up. and. And uh, that was a great station. That lasted for a long time, too, like four or five years. Yeah, yeah, I remember it. So I always like to talk about the evolution of the artist. You mentioned ACDC. You mentioned all these artists that grabbed you into music who wanted you to play guitar, that were influential for you on guitar. What was next? You know, was there a moment where you said, hey, I want to be in a band. I want to play on stage. What was that moment like? Uh first band i at first i would just get together with like friends who were drummers or something and, and jam with them and we would get a little set together and stuff but then my first full band i was a junior in high school but i still was only i was a year ahead in school so i think i was still only 15 when i got that together but that was my first band playing gigs and um, which were just like all ages shows. Basically we may have like played in a bar or two along the way where they'd sneak me in the back door. Cause I, w- I was so young and I looked young too. I was short back then, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's basically the, the gist of it. Just that that was my first band 15 through 17 years old. I'd say. I remember getting into places young too. I was always tall for my age. So I remember getting into like the thirsty whale to see, you know, like enough's enough or the chances are, which I think was in Palatine, um, which was another place that, you know, I would just walk in cause I was tall. And back then they didn't really card you that hard, but, um, I remember experiencing all that and, you know, going to jeans and Jude's next door to the thirsty whale afterwards and experiencing the parking lot with all this loud music going on. It was great. It's a great thing when you're growing up as a kid. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think it was a great, motivator as a musician too great scene back then there was so many uh great guitar players in that that era of rock and uh, everybody was kind of competing for how many hours a day they were practicing and <laughs> that's cool stuff well i I've, i got a firsthand experience with my son he's 15 and you know the the music bug has has bitten him and he's practicing on his guitar five six hours a day you know as soon as he's done with his school and now he's doing the e-learning because of the pandemic. It's just like from five o'clock or four o'clock in the afternoon to 10 o'clock at night, takes a break for dinner, but he's just playing, you know, everything, you know? Yeah. The remote learning would have been a dream come true for me when I was a kid. I couldn't stand that. How long, how much energy and how long the day was at school that chewed into it. Cause all I wanted to be doing was playing guitar. I used to beg my mom, <laughs> let me drop out. <laughs> Cause I was like, you know, I'm never going to be able to practice eight hours a day. And I'm going to school and I just want to do this. And so, yeah, it was, uh, you know, obviously great that I hung in there and, um, and finished in, in high school, but, uh, I, and a couple of years of college, even at that, but I just desperately wanted to 
play my guitar. That was uh, all I wanted to do. He read this book called Van Halen Rising, written by Greg Renoff, and it's about the early days of Van Halen prior to Van Halen 1. And, you know, he comes in the kitchen, he's like, Dad, did you know that Eddie Van Halen would bring his guitar to school and play while he was in class? And I'm like, <clears throat> things were a lot different in the 70s. You know, I'm like, you can't do that now. You can't, yeah. just, you can't just bring a guitar into a class and just be thumbing scales, you know, while the teacher's trying to teach chemistry. I had a great setup in my, I think it was my senior year in high school. I was in what was called music theory two, like second semester music theory essentially and uh i i think because only i think four or five of us signed up for the class they didn't want to cancel the class uh but they let us basically just do some assignments in these practice rooms but then we could also uh practice in there too they had some guitars in the school so i used to just grab i'd grab a guitar and just go practice for an hour during the school day that was great you know would you talk about you know back when you were younger and where you are at now, I always admire those that are doing or, or went on the path in their life and the journey in their life to do what they love. And, you know, what you do, you know, obviously being a musician never feels like work, but to have that passion at such a young age and then to turn it into a career, a successful career like you have, that's pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, it's definitely lucky not to have to labor over it too much. I mean, there was lots of times where I probably should have had common sense and said this isn't working out for me, but I guess to be um, naive and <laughs> I guess they say ignorance is bliss, right? I mean, <laughs> I managed to make it through just by simply not caring that things weren't all that great. Um, but, I mean, I would I would debate whether or not sometimes music feels like work. It definitely feels like work. There's so many times you go to play your guitar uh, when you make a living at it where you're not like, hey, I can't wait to pick up my guitar today. Um, so hey, just like anything else, and especially when you get into traveling extensively, that is like, you know, can be, uh, can be a grind. There's tons of times, the amount of times I've had to wake up at three or four in the morning or have absolutely zero sleep and get on a plane and sleep on a plane going somewhere. Uh, there's tons of times where it's like, oh man, I'm grinding to do this. But, uh, you know, again, it's, it, we're lucky to have the opportunity and you get to see the world and it, it's a, it's a great way to make a living for sure. If you can, if you can make it happen. You've been busy. You are always working. You're doing a lot of different stuff. Um, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of people have either taken this time to kind of just relax and catch up on things. Other people are still being inspired, still writing music. You fall under that category because, I, you know, I look on your website and you've got the EcoBats project going on. You've got your project with the, you know, the 13, the Joel Hulkster 13. Is that really important for you to stay active and to keep creating? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much my philosophy to try and be productive every day to try and do something where I'm stepping, like moving forward with it. Uh, I have a hard time totally, completely taking a day off. Um, lately, because I've been hitting it so hard on certain days of the week, there's there's days where I'll not play my guitar, but I'll usually still try and get some other things done, like business-wise, uh, and still be moving forward. You know, I, I, I think it's... Uh, 
you, you have to be productive every day to build a career. It's just all these baby steps, man. It's a long, long path uh, to be able to do this. So, uh, I, I, yeah, I could never be comfortable with being an actual professional musician and taking this amount of time to not move forward. I think mo- most people are doing some stuff. I, I'm probably on the extreme end of being busier. I mean, I'm teaching uh, 32 students a week via Skype right now and you know, some master classes and doing sessions fairly regularly for people. Uh, and on top of that, obviously you said, uh, Joel Hooks was 13. I finished up that album and the Echo Bats project. And I've been putting out quarantine jam videos, to just kind of keep people entertained and keep myself entertained. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've been definitely really, really busy. Uh, it just is a completely different landscape. You know, I've gone from traveling the world to uh, traveling to my dining room table every day. Well, I have to say the EcoBats song, Save Me From Loving You, is a completely different style than what people are used to with your you know, music. I mean, you're in Whitesnake, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, obviously, you know, Night Ranger. And I was, I thought the Save Me From Loving You video, the song is great. It's got a very Beatlesque influence to it. Tony Harnell sounds awesome on it. How did that project come about? Yeah, that was really Tony Harnell and Matt Starr talking about doing a project and then um, talking about like, hey, who should we get on guitar and coming up with me? And then they called me and we all kind of agreed on doing something that wasn't just like hard rock. Everybody's got enough hard rock things happening. And uh, yeah, I kind of felt like uh, let, let's do something that showcases a different side. Um and we, we kind of had discussed going about like more of like a queen kind of influence thing than anything. But we gave Tony eight ideas. Uh, we had brought in James Lomenzo as well. I uh, said for failed to mention that. But James and I gave Tony eight ideas, and that's the first song he completed. Um, and kind of really made for the perfect song to put out at this time just because it's, you know, everybody's kind of down, and it's such an upbeat, happy Song, although kind of ironic, the lyrics, of course, are are kind of dark over such a a, a pretty song, or a happy song, not pretty. But uh, anyway, it was a great opportunity to put out something that kind of lifted people up, and made them happy. And it's a real fun video, too. So, uh, yeah, great. Uh, obviously, I, I grew up playing all kinds of things, not just hard rock. So for me to get an opportunity to just, I guess, show what I can do on guitar a bit and even what I'm, I can write like, because that was a song that I wrote with Tony. Um, so uh, that's a great opportunity. There's been other things, too, as well. I mean, you mentioned the 13 Project. You've done some of those online jams, like the Starship cover, Jane, which I thought was phenomenal. Is it, you know, when you think about what's going on in the world and people using different things to, you know, use as an escape, like music, sports, books, whatever it is, you have that ability to kind of like, you know, tune out the outside world. And is that important for, for your creative process, being able to do that and not get really sucked into the negativity that's really out there right now? Um, yeah, I think that goes, that definitely ties into the, just trying to keep moving forward and be productive, right? If you can, uh, find motivating factors to just kind of keep you doing that, it keeps the blinders on a little bit. So, uh, I mean, there's, there's definitely right now, I think with all the, um, you could, I just got done on Netflix watching the, the social dilemma and, 
um, what they called the great hack last night. You know, it's you just see how we're all kind of being influenced um, by social media and media, and uh, it's just it's a real eye opener. Just and it, I guess it just reinforces with me all the more like, hey, let's just focus on what's happening right now. How, what can I control? And I can definitely still control like trying to be a good person and trying to be productive. And, um, so that that's just what I'm focusing on more than all the getting caught up in all the, the drama. And <laughs> so there you go. I mean, if I, I, I guess if I, if everybody can look after themselves and do the, be the best person they can be, I guess we'll, we'll be all right through all this. Right. You know, I mean, it's important that you keep a level head and people do keep a level head out, you know, with all that's going on, whether it's the, you know, the pandemic, whether it's the, you know, protests and, and marches that are happening. You know, we have the election that's coming up in a couple months, and there's, you know, there's always drama around that. And, you know, it, it can also affect your creativity because if you allow yourself to kind of, you know, feel these, you know, these impulses of negativity and react right away, you know, you can find yourself going down a path when you're creating music or creating anything, really being influenced by, you know, what's going on outside. And sometimes people allow that. Sometimes people want that. But there's also the case like, hey, you know, like I don't want my music to be as a reflection of this because that's not really who I am. Yeah, I mean, I've never I've never struggled to be able to um, generate creativity. For me, it's all about like the purpose of the creativity like like what's where is it headed how am i going to channel it into something that's gonna uh, be helpful so i mean i feel like it's more about it's often more about that for me like finding the the purpose and the reason and um so as long as i can keep doing that and for me that that always comes down to just being able to like get through my life doing this and not end up having the window closed on me where it's like oh i've got to go wait tables you know because <laughs> i don't I don't really have any other skill sets, man. I'd be so screwed if it all closed on me with music. And, uh, you know, I've got, I've got little kids. And I'm trying to raise them. And so for me to um, just stay motivated, is, is it's, it's all about just trying to be uh, work hard every day and find the purpose with this stuff, right? Not necessarily to be creative, but I think that's really easy. I wouldn't have made it this far if I couldn't. Um, just write a song on, on the spot. I could pretty much, for me, it's like, well, what am I writing for and what it, what's the purpose for? And uh, that that's what it, it becomes more about. My next, my follow-up question to that is, you know, staying busy with all these projects and doing what, what you do. You know, you, you have worked with a lot of different artists and a lot of those artists all have different personalities. How are you able to you know, navigate through one person being one way and another person being another way? Is it you just show up to do what you need to do? Or how do you handle, you know, I, I asked the same similar question to Rudy Sarzo, who I had on several months ago. You know, he's worked with a lot of people too. And I'm interested just to see what your point of view is on that. Like, how do you handle different personalities that you work with? Yeah, I think you find most of the people that are doing well are usually the people that appreciate um, the opportunities. The people that tend to uh, head down are the ones kind of complaining or griping about it all. So uh, do your best to see all the, the positives in it. And I think 
anybody, you could drive yourself crazy with any gig if you focus on the negatives. The best thing to do is focus on the positives and um, talk about that. And whatever you're putting out will come back to you, right? So if you're being positive with people, they're going to be positive with you and all that stuff. So uh, it, it's kind of kind of common sense, but that's just, that's what it comes down to. And, and, and try not to be like disingenuous, obviously, with that. It's not like I'm going to just like, lie to be positive it's just actually it's all there you just actually have to focus and figure out what it is that you really is the best about dealing with each person and what they're great at and then let them know that that's that's obviously the best way to roll have you ever turned down a project or an opportunity just because you were concerned about you know the interaction with who you're going to be dealing with uh not really i mean i i'm pretty much embrace working in any opportunity and, and give it the um i guess give it a chance and see how things go uh, i wouldn't say i ever shut i never i never necessarily shut doors right out of the gate but i am all for trying to w- work as hard as possible i mean i would work on a million different things to see what takes off or what works the best uh it, it all just kind of comes down to how much time you have how much work can you put in so there are things i do turn down because i'm actually busy like if i if i'm if i'm booked and i don't have any more energy left there are things where i'm like man i'm sorry i just don't have time like to be able to do it right now uh but not until i hit that point i would never sit around and not be doing anything and turn down stuff i would just you know i find that working generates work so if you get out and you're active uh, and you're doing your best in every situation, that's going to generate more opportunities, and those opportunities become better. The project Joel Hoekstra 13, you released your initial album in 2017, and now you're following up with a, with a newer album. What was that process like putting this together? Was this all done before the pandemic, or was this put together while you were you know, under lockdown? So the songs were written before, um, before any of this. And then I laid down my guitars during it at home, like at the beginning of it. So yeah, now it's mixed and basically turned in and getting ready to, uh, have that released at the top of 21. And I think we'll even hopefully see, hear a single or two come out before then. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about it. I mean, it's it's all stuff that was written. So it's not like lyrically. It's about the the pandemic or anything like that. There's really nothing on there that's about it, which is probably a good thing. Who wants to write a song about sitting at home all day, right? Not necessarily me. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. I went to the kitchen and then I, you know, brought my lunch into the living room and yeah, you know, right. <laughs> like what, yes. what could you possibly write about? I cut the lawn today, yes. you know, whatever. But yeah. um, Here's my living room again from the hit song. Here's <laughs> the hit album. Here's my living room again. The, yeah. And, and the B side is vacuuming twice a week. You know, uh, that's the, uh, that's the <laughs> song there. But how, how about, you know, the people that you had on the album? I know, you know, you had Jeff Scott Soto on the previous album, Vinny Apice you had on the, on the um, album prior to this. What was it like working with, you know, same musicians or different musicians this time around? 
Yeah, same lineup. Vinny Abbasi on drums, Tony Franklin on bass, uh, Derek Sherinian on keys. Uh, the only difference this time is Russell Allen sang all the lead vocals last time. Uh, Russell Allen and Jeff Scott Toto split it down the middle. Uh, this time, Jeff just basically helped me out singing the backgrounds on it. I mean, he's got he's got a lot of irons in the fire now with Sons of Apollo and his solo album. So um, Russell Allen's a great 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 singer though. So happy to have him on there. And um, yeah, I, I think people will dig it. I mean, it's consistent. It sounds it's the same kind of vibe as the previous album. Uh, they're slightly more focused, I'd say, this time around in terms of its sound. Um, but they, people can expect roughly the same the same kind of vibe. Is this going to be released on Frontiers? Yeah, I don't think we've made an official announcement on the, the signing, but yeah. Now, when you work with Whitesnake, going from Trans Trans Siberian Orchestra, doing your own side projects, doing session work, you know, then you have the you know the band Whitesnake, who's near and dear to a lot of fans and and, and loved by many. They just released a rocks album, you know, you know, rock songs, and, and there was a new song on there that you collaborated with. What's that process like? So, well, that I mean, David signs the the deals for these. I, th- I think with Warner Brothers with Rhino and uh, the compilation records. Uh, amazingly enough, I'm a part of them, which is fantastic. Uh, the first one, the rock album. Uh, so he, he signed a deal, I believe, for a trilogy. It's um, The Rock and then Love and then Blues, like a red, white, and blues, I think, kind of um, type of thing. And uh, thankfully, uh, the first one had a song that I co-wrote with David uh, for a new track on there. And then I also cut, um, there was an album out years ago called Restless Heart that was sort of intended to be a David Coverdale solo album. And he had Adrian Vandenberg play on it. And the production style was a little bit more along the lines of Coverdale Page, where they're going for like a single guitar pass uh, with multiple amps and things like that. But it wasn't like a, a Les Paul sounding album. And I think the label at the time forced David to put it out under the Whitesnake moniker. So at least as I understand it. So he was, he, uh, he asked me, oh, this is a while ago now, a year or two ago to, uh, double Adrian's parts really tied with the Les Paul and maybe add some overdubs here and there. And he brought in Derek Sherinian to play some keys on it and, uh, and then remixed it. So the, some of those tracks are a part of each of the compilations, I believe. Not sure about the third one, but I know uh, the Love album is coming out now. And uh, I, I was thankful to get some of those, those uh, Restless Heart tracks on there and on the, the first one, the rock album that you mentioned. So, yeah, it's cool. And obviously, great to still be in the loop with David on all that and, and uh, have some stuff coming out that can keep the fans engaged And uh, during this, this time is a, is a great thing. We talk a lot on this show about the state of rock and roll, and obviously everything had to be put on pause in 2020 for a lot of artists. And now we're starting to see at the end of the year, albums start to trickle out. You know, a lot of stuff has been pushed back originally from the spring into the summer, now the summer uh, to 2021. And all this stuff is coming out, and we still don't know what's going to be the touring situation, the live music situation. We still don't know how that's going to be especially come springtime, summertime, you know, will things start to open up? We want to keep a positive attitude and believe that. I just had Save Our Stages on last week, a representative from 
from that group to talk about what's happening with legislation to try to get some of these clubs and these theaters to stay open. But when you think about the state of rock, even prior to the pandemic, rock and roll, of course, will never die. It will always be played. It will always have an audience. However, the relevancy of it is suffering. And when I'm talking, you know, what I mean by that is you look at the Grammy Awards. They don't even have the rock awards on television. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame tells you now what's considered rock and roll. And there's a lot of other things, too. You know, you look at the lack of music just being absorbed by young people, although I do think that's changing. What's your take on that? Like, what do you see, you know, being on the front lines, being in music? What do you see in terms of the state of rock and roll and where the direction of rock music is going? Yeah, I don't really worry about it much, man. I mean, uh, the way I look at it is like, you know, I live in New York City where people are very fixated on what's hip and what's cool and what's in. And so I've already announced a long time ago, look, I'm not cool and I don't care. Uh, I'm just going to do what I do and like do the best I can at it. And uh, and I love what I do. Like I have fun with all my gigs. And so maybe I'm not... Uh, playing guitar for who knows whatever chart topping artist it is out there but i actually could care less i'd rather be doing what i'm doing so i i don't worry about it man i just do what i do and um and, and keep moving forward like i said i think it's more about being productive than worrying about like how relevant rock is now i mean if it completely collapses and i can't make a dime doing it then i suppose it'll be of some concern but i, I don't know man I don't, I don't necessarily see that happening well, yeah, I don't either. I had an interesting conversation with the guitar player Blake Allard from a band called Joyous Wolf, which is this new band out of Long Beach, California. And he said something really interesting that I can't determine and I can't control what happens around me or around our band. So if we just keep writing good music and playing good music, it will find its audience. And I think that's just a great perspective, especially for a new artist, new band to have that, that, hey, you know, we know that pop music and hip hop rule the day right now. And, you know, but we're, we're, we love what we do. We love playing what we play. We're just going to keep making the best music possible. Is that kind of the same philosophy you have? I think that's all you can do. I, I, that's pretty much how I made it through everything, I think, to get where I am today. So nothing's changed. It's not like I changed my mindset at all. That's pretty much where I've been the whole time. Uh, just keep working and just keep keep doing all this and uh, moving forward. That's all. I mean, it's really, it's kind of basic. I'm sure there's a lot of musicians in my mindset. I, we don't, I think that's more of like a, a lot of fans worry about that stuff. But I think... Uh, and unless you're like, I guess, a, uh, an original member of a gigantic band or something like that, where you worry if you're going to be making tens of millions of dollars in a year or whatever. I, I don't know. That's just not as a guitar player. Like, let's just, you know, let's just go. And that being said, like, I, I wouldn't necessarily draw the line at like what I do at only rock either. Like, I mean, I'd be happy to play guitar in different styles and keep moving forward. Like I, I consider myself a musician guitarist first and foremost, more than just necessarily rock musician. So uh, there's always that too. Now I definitely rock is nearest and dearest to my heart, but um, she, you know, it's not like my entire world would collapse if like hard rock was, you know, did, but I, again, I don't, I don't think that's ever going to happen. And when you think of the future with live music, has there been any thought on that? I mean, I, discussed this with with George Lynch a few weeks ago too as well he played Sturgis recently and he talked about 
you know, the changes that he made backstage where he, you know, he stayed in his trailer, you know, his camper because he was doing a camp. He incorporated a camping trip on this trip out to Sturgis from California. And he was saying, you know, I stayed in there. It was just me and my tech. I didn't really communicate with a lot of people prior to the show like I normally do. Have you thought about what the changes will be like once live music comes back? Uh, not really. I mean, I'm just kind of taking it day by day. And also, I suppose in a way, just operating under like the operating under the, uh, I guess, even though I, I, I know it's probably not true, but the assumption like, hey, it's never coming back. And that way, I'll be pleasantly surprised when it is. I'm not planning on anything, you know, I'm not going like, boy, but back when, when I'll get back out in 21, uh, 2021 and tour for six months, you know, it's like, I'm not really doing that at all. I'm just going like, okay, that's all gone. And now I'm doing this. <laughs> Let's just be productive. And I mean, if it comes back, then that's great. You know, I'll just look at it as like icing on the cake, man. But in the meantime, I'm just looking for a way to thrive with what's going on right now. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's probably the best attitude to take, you know, so you're pleasantly surprised by, you know, when it does come back. I know when, you know, people think about, you know, just what society will be like in a year or what happens. I know you look at the tech companies, they're telling their employees that they're not going to come back until July of 2021. So everyone's kind of looking like that is like, all right, well, it looks like it's going to be, you know, late spring, early summer when things start to happen. I know different states are handling things different you know, differently. Have there been any conversations with any of the artists that you work with about touring or what 2021 is going to be like? No, not, no, absolutely not. Because I mean, I think that's a global, like gigantic issues. It's not down to like, you know, if some band wants to go out, that's, (laughs) it's like the issues are far bigger than that at the moment. So not really. And that's why it's also like insane to waste time on it. It's like, okay, well, I guess we'll just see what's up. Um, especially because I'm not necessarily running my own band where I'm trying to book the tour or anything like that. It would be other band, the bands that I'm a part of doing that. Like, obviously if, if, David wanted to book dates for White Snake, and you know that's up to him and management, and same with Trans Siberian Orchestra. So I'm not really making those decisions, so it doesn't doesn't really affect me a whole ton. I mean, it's I, I definitely miss it. Uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not trying to be like I don't care because um, I do, but at the same time, it's far more important to just try to be productive with what's going on right now than to sit around and say like man things would be great if we were doing that but things are terrible right now it's like it's not really (laughs) i just gotta gotta find a way to make things happen right now too absolutely absolutely to go back to something that you stated earlier in the interview about you teaching you know you have a master class now which i think you said you have like 30 or 35 students as is that is that something you're very passionate about too as well you know showing you know others how to play young people how to play get into guitar and learn how to play? Well, it's something I have a lot of experience in. I, I think when I was younger, I was I probably gave my first lesson at the age of 14. And then I think even through my teens, I always had like a handful of students. And, and really that, that carried me uh, through all the tough times too. Like when I, when I got out of music school and I was back in the suburbs of Chicago, I think it's 70 students a week for about, I would say a good like eight, nine years, something like that. I mean, uh, that really 
that really helped me through. And then I would obviously take off of the lessons when I had gigs or shows or anything else I needed to do musically. Uh, but that, that really brought me through. So again, it's, it's bringing me through this. So I'm also doing fairly well, really with doing sessions for people. That's been good. But, um, the teaching thing is really, it's a nice rock to be able to be like, all right, like, let's, let's talk about guitar. I can help you learn. And this will help me make it through this time. And yeah, I, I enjoy it. I like, especially though, the one-on-ones having an opportunity to work with people. And, um, I do enjoy watching people get better. I think it's cool. Um, and it's a good, it's a good feeling that it gives you a sense of purpose. Like you feel like you did something good in a day, like, okay, you know, I, I, nothing's worse than when you're teaching and somebody's not practicing it or getting better. <laughs> That's a, that could be a frustrating feeling. Cause you're like, I, I'm not connecting. They're not obviously understanding, um, what's happening here. But, uh, in general, uh, I, I think I do pretty well because I have such, um, experience with teaching. I've done an absolute ton of it. So for me to be able to go back to it right now is just like putting on an old pair of shoes, man. That's awesome. I know, you know, when I, when I look at my son and he's been playing now for about three, four years and he learned his first chord from, um, a custom guitar maker in Hermosa beach, California. And he was sitting there and the guy gave him a guitar and he's like, all right, let's try to learn some chords. So he taught my son how to play these chords when he was like 11 or 12. And he's been, you know, going ever since. And we had this conversation probably about a year ago where he was talking about, you know, who he was listening to. And I said, you know, if you really want to become a great guitar player, you got to listen to everything. And how that affects your guitar playing is, is that the more you put in, you know, to the, to the blender, you know, as an example, you know, the better the milkshake's going to taste or the whatever you're making is going to taste because you've got so much that's influenced you that it's going to come out in your playing. You know, what, what's your advice to a young guitar player that's 15 years old, like my son? Well, it's definitely just work hard and outwork everybody else. That's the, that's the number one thing. Um, and not to sweat it too much beyond that, but it's got to come down to a daily thing. You're pretty much like just trying to stay productive on a daily basis. That's what'll get you to that next level. And, uh, man, I mean, as far as like the, you know, what you're supposed to practice, that's different for everybody. So there's no one way to do it. I think every person's got to find their own path in terms of what they put in. I mean, I'll say for me, one of the, the best things that ever happened was having the whole grunge thing turned everything upside down right when I was getting out of music school. So it kind of, it, it thrust me into a way to like a career of trying to make a living with my guitar, not being able to rely on simply just like the chops that I'd worked on when I was a kid. So I had to learn to play a bunch of different styles and how to play music with a bunch of different people. And I mean, I've done so many different types of gigs in my life. It's, it's ridiculous. So, uh, that really helped me in a way. And then oddly enough, uh, the, I guess the eighties resurgence as they call it or revival, uh, really took off. And then I ended up doing the best with what I had initially started to play guitar and be into. Uh, but that doesn't mean, uh, that people should do exactly what I did. Like some, some, there's some players that just play exactly like they play. They built a career. And, and that's awesome, but I, everybody's different. So uh, just my path involved learning a lot of different styles and playing, <laughs> playing a lot of different types of gigs and 
um, I enjoy having that, uh, I guess, a, a diversity in my style. Joel, it's been a great conversation. Thank you very much for doing this. I do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time out today. All right, everybody. That's Joel Holkstra, guitar legend, guitar teacher. Great to have him on today. My name's Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk again soon. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.